main thing that we should take away this morning is this. God alone is trustworthy, so you give him all your praise. It is a pleasure to be here with you again this morning. Marianne and I are very grateful for the invitation and happy to see so many friends, good friends this morning. So thank you again for welcoming us to worship with you. Well, some of you all have heard the name Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom lived uh, during World War II. She was Dutch from the Netherlands. And during World War II, as the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, Corey and her family watched as the Germans slowly began to round up suspects, uh, particularly targeting Jews that lived in the Netherlands. And slowly but surely, they watched as many people uh, in that country began to disappear, especially Jews. Corey and her family, however, uh, began to use their home, their watch shop, to hide many of the Jews that were seeking refuge there. That was a very scary time, a very unknown time, a very dark time, you could imagine. Um, Corey and her family hiding Jews in a small room upstairs in their attic. They never knew when or if the police might come to their door knocking and asking questions. Corey and her family and their uh, teammates, they practiced many times what to do in those unknown situations. Practiced answering questions, uh, being under interrogation, things like that. Very uncertain, very troubling, and they didn't know who to trust. Now later, as some of you may know the story, Corey and her sister Betsy, in fact, were arrested and were thrown into prison. And they were very unsure of what was going to happen. They were very unsure if they were ever going to be freed. And sure enough, later on, they were actually imprisoned in a concentration camp called Ravensbrück Concentrations Camp. And they didn't know if they would ever be freed. They were malnourished, sleeping in... Uh, and very tick-infested quarters. It was a very dark time, and again, they still didn't know who they could trust in that situation. Now, I'll spare you some of the more exciting details of the story. You can read about that in her book, The Hiding Place. Corey was eventually freed from that concentration camp. But she said, after all those very trying times and uncertain times, she said this. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I trust that none of us here are going through exactly what Corey Ten Boom went through. But I do believe that all of us are in some way facing uncertain futures, uh, perhaps nervous times, perhaps for some of you dark times. I think all of us can safely say that COVID has affected all of us, and none of us know for sure when it's going to end. We're facing an unknown future. As many of you know, even now with more variants that are coming out in different countries, we don't know what's going to be happening. Friends, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. The Bible has given us that truth and that assurance that we do have a trustworthy God. And that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning, Psalm 146. Let's look at this comforting psalm. Please turn with me as we seek to hear these truths of our trustworthy God. Hear the word of the Lord. 
praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise God for his holy word as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think the main idea of this psalm and the main thing that we should take away this morning is this. God alone is trustworthy, so you give him all your praise. Now, it's helpful to step back for a minute and understand uh, the context here so we can understand that truth, that God alone is trustworthy, so give him all your praise. The context of this psalm was likely that it was written after the Jews had returned from exile in Babylon. And you can pick that up here in not this psalm, but if you're to look at the remaining psalms in the Psalter, Psalms 146 through Psalm 150, you'll see this common theme come up over and over again. And likely these last five psalms were written for those returning exiles to Jerusalem. And those exiles, as you remember, when they left Israel, when they left Jerusalem, their city was completely destroyed. The temple was completely destroyed. And so when they return to the land, when God brings them back in his mercy, they have a lot of rebuilding to do. They have a monumental task in front of them. And I think you're probably familiar, having studied recently one of the books, Ezra or Nehemiah, I believe, and learning about the big monumental task of rebuilding God's city and his temple. Well, that's who this psalm is for, is for those returning exiles as they return to the land. And as you probably know, when they return, they're not alone. There have been people who have taken up residence in the land while they were away. And when they return, those people aren't too happy to see them, are they? And they kind of make life difficult for the Israelites there. They're mocking them, they're scorning them, they're threatening to attack them. And so this psalm, again, to encourage those returning exiles to not fear, to not be afraid, to not distrust God, but also not to put their trust in any earthly prince, not even the prince or king of a city like Babylon who allowed them to return, but in the one king who brought them back, the one king who will uphold them, the one king who will help them rebuild not just the city, but their lives. And so that's who this psalm is for, and it's for us as well today. God alone is trustworthy, so give him your praise. There are four parts to this psalm that I want us to see. As we walk through this, we'll be looking at, first of all, the call to praise God in verses 1 and 2. The call to praise, verses 1 and 2. 
And then we'll look at a warning in verses 3 and 4, a warning against trusting in man. And then we'll see verses 5 through 9, trust the true ruler. We'll see reasons why we are to trust, verses 5 through 9. And then in verse 10, again, a concluding call to praise. Well, friends, I'll, I'll remind us of those key points throughout the, service, throughout the sermon. But first of all, look again at verses 1 and 2 as we see an opening call to praise. Now, the psalmist here again, he's, he's calling out to these returning exiles. He says, praise, praise, praise. I don't know if you noticed that, but look again at those first two verses and just how many times that word praise is used, right? At least four times in those opening verses. Praise, praise. This psalm is all about praise, and in fact, the last five psalms of the Psalter are all about praise. All of them begin and end with a call to praise God. And so the psalmist is stirring up the people, stirring us up to praise God over and over. And not just to praise, but notice in verse 1 it says, O my soul, praise, praise the Lord. Now that soul or heart, sometimes it's translated in, in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, that usually means uh, not, just your, not just your soul or one part of you, but your entire being, right? Your, your emotions, all your faculties, all your affections, all your being, right? When the Bible uses that word soul or being, it's about everything within you. All your breath, praise the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. But not only that, he emphasizes again in verse 2, he says, while I have my being, praise the Lord, sing praises. You know, while he has breath, in other words, every moment of his life, he wants to praise the Lord. And not just on Sunday, so to speak, gathered with God's people every day of the week, praising God, asking God, going to God, praising God when he feels like it or when he doesn't feel like it, praising God when, he, God when he's high or when he's low, you know, praising God when there's peace in the land or when there's unrest. In all circumstances, as long as I have breath, he says, praise the Lord. And this idea of praise, sometimes we perhaps gets tired on us, I think. I rent an office space uh, not too far from our home, and it's a shared office space. So there's lots of other businesses and things around me. And um, One of those businesses is uh, it's a live streaming direct marketing business. Have you seen these before? Now, when I was a kid, we had only a TV, right? So it was, at that time, it was like a home shopping network or something, right? So uh, basically, people up there, they're marketing some product, and they're doing it for like an hour, and they're telling you about how awesome their product is, right? Well, we got these diapers. These are the best baby diapers you're ever going to find. No leaking ever. It's so great. Uh, you can wear them from hours. Uh, you can wear them overnight. And this product, whatever it is, 100% trustworthy. You can believe me, but you got to buy now. You got to buy now. This is the best thing. And so one of those places, one of those people, their, their business few doors down from my office. But if you watch that kind of marketing after a while, just sort of, I think, you constantly hear somebody praising up a product after a while. You start, okay, then you watch them do another product. After a while, it kind of gets old. The psalmist here does not want you to get tired of praising God. He's not like any product, any person. We should never grow tired and weary of praising our God. And that's why the psalmist says it again 
and again and again. Praise our God. So friends, let me ask you. You have that desire. You feel that call to praise God. And not just here on the Lord's Day, which we should be doing, and it is right, but each day of your life, when you're high or when you're low, you want to praise God with your whole being. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always feel that way, do we? We don't always know how to do that or why to do that. But the good thing is here in this psalm, the psalmist doesn't just tell us to do it. He's also going to give us reasons why why we should praise the Lord. So friends, if you wrestle with praising God, you're not alone, but you're about to be, see why you should praise God and how you can praise God. So let's continue to look at this psalm. The psalmist challenges us, stirs us up to praise the Lord. And we're going to see, first of all, a warning of who not to praise or who not to trust. If God is our trustworthy God, he is worthy of our praise then we need to be warned against trusting in other things and trusting in men. Look again at verse, verses 3 and 4 here. As the psalmist warns us, he says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Well, friends, again, the, the challenge for God's people coming back into the land is that they had been freed by the king of Babylon to go back into the land of Israel. The temptation probably for those people who had been in exile for so long is seeing the power and might of the empire. The challenge for them was they were probably thinking, well, it was the king of Babylon who did this. And we have these people in the land who are kind of threatening us. Well, we should go to the king of Babylon and trust in his power. And the Psalms are saying, no, 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 no. Know who truly freed you. It's not some earthly prince. It's not some earthly king. Rather, it's the Lord your God. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. And why is that the case? Look again at verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Now, it's interesting here, uh, the psalmist uses these words. We don't see it here in the English. But in the original Hebrew, if you were to look at these words, it would say the psalmist, he's saying the son of man in verse 3. Uh, the son of man, that word man is the word Adam. Now you know that word, right? Adam, Adam. Now the word Adam means earth. In verse 4, he says, his breath departs and he goes to the ground. And the word for ground there is Adama. So you can hear the similarity here, right? Adam goes back to Adama. Very similar concepts here. And so the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the poet, the psalmist, is making a play on words. He's saying, notice how similar these two things are, a son of man and Adam, and uh, goes back to the ground, Adama. His life is coming from the ground, and he goes back to the ground. Maybe you've heard that phrase, uh, from dust to dust, or dust uh, to ashes. Uh, how, how fleeting the life of a man is, a person is. We come from dust, so to speak, and go back to dust. And so that's what the psalmist is saying here, is that son of man, don't trust in a son of man. He's here today and gone tomorrow. In other words, it's foolish to trust in something that passes away. In our lives, in our day-to-day -day lives, you're called on all the time to trust in things. If you're dating somebody, you think, oh, can I trust this person? Now, if you're going to buy something on Taobao, what are you going to do? You're going to look at the ratings of the seller. Do I trust this seller? Are they going to 
sell me something good or bad, on time or not? Uh, do I trust this political leader? Uh, they have, maybe have a campaign slogan, leadership you can trust. Um, can I trust the doctors and medical community who treat me? And we're often asking ourselves these questions. Or uh, one of the most common things, some of the most popular news sites, popular blogs, comes to uh, financial matters, money matters. And maybe you've seen these, right? Um, the websites and blogs dedicated to just one thing. How can you make more money? And they're going to tell you, invest in this. Uh, here's where you, you can get your best return on investment. Uh, here's how you can avoid taxes in a legal way. Uh, here's what stocks to invest in now. And people are looking to invest their money and get a good uh, return. And they're looking for often insider tips. They want to trust whatever source where they can put their money and get a good return on investment. Well, friends, it's foolish to trust in something that's going to pass away. Now, money, you can't take it with you. And trusting in something like money, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But the real question is, are you investing in something that will never pass away? Are you investing in something that will last for eternity? That's what the psalmist wants us to see here. Put not your trust in princes. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. Invest trust in an eternal king who will never fade away, who will never pass away, who has an inheritance for you that will never spoil or fade. So friends, you should ask, our, you should ask ourselves this morning, what am I tempted to trust in other than God? Is there something in my life that I, that I, that I lean on more than God, that I find more sure than God? Maybe for you it is money. Investing, real estate. Maybe for you it's something else. Maybe it's uh, investing in your children. You have trust in your children's future and their education. Or maybe you're tempted to trust in your parents. Tempted to trust in your own reputation and achievements, whatever you can uh, achieve in life and rest on your laurels. Or maybe you're trusting in your own identity as a respected parent, a successful business person, a respected leader, an impressive teacher. And friends, whatever it is, you're tempted to trust in something that's going to fade away. Remember that no matter how powerful someone is, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how much money they make, no matter their status, it'll all eventually fade away like dust. There's only one ruler, one king, in whom we should trust. His promises will never fade away. His love for you will never fade away. His grace for you will never fade away. His mercy is sure, his mercy is more. And that's the king the psalmist wants us to see. Put not your trust in princes, mortal men who cannot save. When they die, their thoughts will perish, buried with them in the grave. So friends, how can you fight that temptation to trust in mortal men? How can you fight to trust in the one true ruler 
The psalmist helps us do that. The psalmist gives us reasons that are going to stir us on to trust in the one true king. And that's what we need to see looking at verses 5 through 9 here. As we think about God, our trustworthy king. Look again there at verses 5 through 9, because we're going to see several reasons why we can trust in God alone as a trustworthy king, a trustworthy ruler. The psalmist gives us here at least three reasons why to trust in the Lord. First of all, you see there in verse 5, it says, Blessed is he whose help is, in, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. First, the psalmist says that you're blessed. Those of you who trust in God are blessed, whose help is the God of Jacob. Now, we read this phrase, actually, the God of Jacob, several times in the Psalter. Uh, next time you're reading through the Psalms, try to mentally tuck that away. The God of Jacob, it's used several times. What kind of God is that? What kind of, what kind of person is Jacob is actually the question we should ask. You remember who, what kind of person Jacob is? Uh, Jacob is not exactly a nice guy. Did you know that? Uh, Jacob is known as the deceiver. Uh, he tricked his brother into giving up his birthright for a bowl of stew. Uh, Jacob is the same guy uh, who had to flee for his life from his brother because of how deceptive he was. He was known for being a trickster. And yet, for his bad reputation and as much wickedness as Jacob did, we also know that Jacob was a man incredibly blessed by God. Now, Jacob is also a man who was made wealthy by God. Now, Jacob was blessed by God after he wrestled all night with an angel. Now, Jacob was, was blessed by God. God gave him 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jacob was also blessed by God when one of those sons he thought was lost was given back to him. Jacob is an interesting man because he has done so much wrong and evil in his life, but God has blessed him with so much good. And so the psalmist's point here is, the person who trusts in the Lord, he's saying, as God has done with Jacob, so too will he do with his covenant people. If God can bless a man like Jacob, he can bless a person like you, who trusts in him and trusts in him alone. Now, friends, that doesn't mean that if you uh, trust in God, he's going to give you material wealth. That doesn't mean he's going to give you uh, the best house or the most money or the best family, all these sorts of things. That's not the point. If you trust in God, he's going to bless you spiritually above all that you can ask or imagine. The riches of spiritual blessing in, in God alone, that's the point. And Jacob is that person who trusted in someone outside of himself. He trusted in the one true God alone. And for that trust, he was blessed in many different ways. My friends, the God of Jacob, the God who will bless those who do not deserve blessing. The God of Jacob is the one who will show mercy and grace to those who do not deserve it. The God of Jacob shows us the economy of the gospel, as one person put it. That God gives good to those who have actually done evil. And friends, this is the essence of the gospel. 
God blessed Jacob and forgave him and welcomed him and had mercy on him, even though he didn't deserve it. And this is what we as sinners need to hear. That for those who look to God and trust in him alone, his mercy is sure and rich, and you are blessed with the forgiveness and mercy of God. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned. You trust in God, his mercy is more. Friends, we're reminded of that truth in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And Paul says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, that we can be assured of the blessing of forgiveness of our sins and giving every spiritual blessing in Christ. And friends, that's the good news that we need to hear that forgiveness in Christ for, God, for those who trust in Christ alone. But not just the blessing of forgiveness, but also the blessing of a future inheritance. A blessing of dwelling with God forever in heaven. For those who trust in Christ alone, we're assured of that. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says that we have an eternal inheritance that will never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So believer, remind yourself, be convicted of that truth that we see here in this psalm that God is saying to you, believer, I am your help. I am your hope. I am a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Turn to me. Know my grace and forgiveness, no matter what darkness you've been going through this past week, no matter what hardship, no matter what uncertain future ahead. No matter the shame you've felt over sin, when you go to God and fall in the mercy and his sure grace, you are assured of that forgiveness because his word is trustworthy. He is a covenant-keeping God. Praise him for that, for those truths that we're reminded of. And friends, there's another reason why we must trust in God alone. We're shown that here in verse 6. Yes, we praise God and trust Him because He's a covenant-keeping and gracious God, but also because God is your maker. God is your maker. We see that in verse 6. It says, The Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Now again, this is a phrase you should tuck away mentally or when you're reading the Psalms. It comes up again and again. Or something like it. The God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And the psalmist here is teaching us, showing us, reminding his people that it's the Lord who created all things. It's the Lord who is sovereign over all things then. That he, in a sense, stands above his creation. He rules over it. And he knows the needs of all his creatures. He fulfills the needs of every living creature, says Psalm 104. God is trustworthy because he, he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. I was reminded of that this week with my own son. Our son is about two and a half going on three, and uh, he was, uh, we were taken to the doctor not too long ago, and the doctor uh, prescribed him this medicine. It's this uh, drink. And so we have to make this for him three times a day. Well, he loves it because it's got sugar in it, and it tastes like orange. And so uh, about three times a day, he's asking for his orange drink. And, you know, he starts to get excited when we tell him, okay, we're going to make the orange drink for you. Get ready. And he's like, orange drink, I want orange drink. I want orange drink. I want orange drink. And over and over again, I hear, I want orange drink. I want orange drink. I want orange drink. 
Now, do you think as parents, we don't know that he needs the orange drink? Uh, we only need to be told probably once. We don't even need to be told. We know we need to give him the orange drink. It's good for him. But he wants it. He wants it right away. He wants it now, now, now. Well, sometimes, when it comes to trusting God, we're the same way. We know he's a good creator, but we don't always believe that he's going to give us what we need. Or we are impatient to receive what he's promised. My friends, as a trustworthy God, you can believe and know that God is so much better than any earthly parent. He's going to give us exactly what we need when we need it. And so we can trust him. And whatever happens in your life, whatever circumstances you encounter, an unknown future, you can trust that God is the maker of this earth as your creator. He knows your frame. He knows everything about you. He knows every illness. He knows every suffering, every weakness, every struggle, every frustration. He knows the pain. He knows the sorrow. He knows also the joys. You can trust and you can go to him and he's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. It's a loving God. He's not going to withhold anything from you. You know, what, what does Jesus say? What loving parent is going to give his son a, a stone who asks for bread? God knows exactly what you need. Don't be afraid to go to him and trust him, but also to have the patience that he's going to give you what you need in the proper time. When you don't feel in control, just remember God is saying to you, I got this. I got this. I know you need your orange drink, but I got this and I got you. A trustworthy God a trustworthy ruler. I'm your maker. I'll take care of you. I've got this world in my hands. I've got you in my hands as well. Friends, God is your maker, so you can trust him. There's a third reason why God is trustworthy and therefore we should praise him. That's found here in verses 7 through 9. The reason is God is the protector of the oppressed. God is the protector of the oppressed. Verses 7 through 9 says, The Lord is the God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over all the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Friends, we need to unpack this a little bit. Uh, first of all, notice this word justice in verse 7. This word justice is a very rich word in the original Hebrew language. Justice uh, in the Hebrew is uh, packed full of meaning. It's sort of like the word peace that we often read about in the Bible, shalom. Uh, it's got um, a full sense of meaning that we need to understand. First of all, justice is not only when God or when justice in this world by earthly rulers is condemning those who have done something wrong. You know, that's one side of justice, but another side of justice, and according to the Bible, is restoring what was lost. There's double sides here of the meaning of the word justice. Think of modern-day example of a courtroom or going to trial. Oftentimes, when people go to court and a, someone is found guilty for doing something wrong, 
the judge will sentence them to a prison sentence, right? So many years in jail. That's one side of justice, punishing the wicked. But another side of justice is oftentimes the judge will also tell the person, the, the guilty person, you need to pay X amount of money. And part of the reason for doing that is to try to restore what was lost by that person's crime. So this is not a totally foreign idea to us today. And here in the Bible, the word justice often carries those two meanings. And so when the psalmist says the Lord executes justice for the oppressed, he's not only punishing the wicked, but he's also caring for the oppressed by restoring what they've lost, by making sure they have what they need. That's the kind of ruler that the Lord is. And so, friends, as we look through these verses, we need to do, uh, we can see many different ways the Lord is a just ruler, and we'll go through some of these quickly, but just get a sense here of how the psalmist illustrates how the Lord is a good and trustworthy ruler. What does he do? The Lord gives food to the hungry. A good ruler is going to make sure everyone in his kingdom has, just, has enough caring for the most vulnerable, the weak in society, the poor. Verse 7, the Lord sets the prisoner free. Well, let's understand here, when the Bible is talking about the prisoner here, it's talking about people who are actually probably in exile, in bondage, and they have been returned to the land. That's more likely the meaning here of prisoner. And so the Lord is a good ruler because he brings his exiles back from bondage, from imprisonment. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He heals not just physical eyes, but also spiritual eyes. In verse 8, again, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, those who are heavy laden, Jesus says. Come to me, those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In verse 8, again, the Lord loves the righteous, those who keep covenant with him, those who uh, obey his commands. Think of Psalm 1, for example. The man is blessed who does not trust in the way of the wicked. He trusts in the Lord. But there's one more category of people here in verse 9. We see the vulnerable, and that's the sojourners, the orphans, and the widows. Now, these three types of people are all sort of one category, the vulnerable. They would have been some of the most uh, weak of society at, those time, at that time. Uh, the sojourners, the orphans, and the widow had no one they could depend on. And at that time, uh, there was no insurance system like we have today, right? Uh, now we have like social safety nets and welfare, we pay taxes, and the government takes care of the most vulnerable and, um, as best they can. Well, in, in Israel, and at that time, they didn't have that system. It was up to oftentimes family members to provide. And so sojourners, those traveling through, they didn't have family they could depend on. Orphans had no parents. Widows had no children, or uh, maybe they had no children or no, no spouse who could care for them. So these are the most vulnerable in society, and they're the easiest to exploit. So that's why there is this uh, emphasis to show God not only is a true righteous ruler who does care for these people, but he's also a true righteous ruler because he's going to punish the wicked who do, who do exploit uh, the most vulnerable. So verse 9 says, the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Again, what is the psalmist telling us here? He's telling us that we can trust God because he protects the oppressed. God is the protector of the oppressed. The fallen human rulers, 
governments, leaders, different areas of society, we know that they do not execute justice perfectly. They fail to care for a vulnerable, take advantage of the weak, take advantage of their power to exploit those under them. God is the protector of the oppressed. If God's the protector of the oppressed, then we as his people also need to be protectors of the oppressed. So friends, I think it's worth it for a few moments here to dwell on that as Christians. Because there are many troubling stories, many many sad experiences of oppression that we can see in our society, but even in the church today. Some of you have seen stories come out of famous Christian leaders in the past few years who have used their positions of power uh, to abuse those under them. I think it's worth it for a moment for us as Christians to think about this issue of abuse. And abuse can take many different forms. There's not just spiritual abuse by Christian leaders. There's physical abuse. There's sexual abuse, verbal abuse, and so on. Some of you have experienced horrible cases, instances of abuse in your lives or in the lives of people around you. Friends, I want to be very careful here because it's a very sensitive topic. And I don't want to pretend, if you've gone through this, that I don't want to pretend that I know exactly what you've gone through. I just don't want to sugarcoat anything you might have gone through. But this is a subject that needs to be addressed. And Unfortunately, too many times in the church, we don't address it. But it's addressed here in our text today because God is a God who protects the oppressed, so we need to be protectors of the oppressed as well. So first, let me speak to anyone who might be suffering or has suffered abuse and oppression. My heart laments with you. I can't give you answers to everything that you've gone through can't say that I understand it, whether you've been abused physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, verbally, I do want to say that you don't have to be silent about it. Now, you might think, I couldn't possibly tell anybody about this. If anybody knew this about me, I, I couldn't face them again. Or you might be thinking, my life would be so much worse if I told anybody what was going on. My friend, you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't need to suffer by yourself. You might have been told before that you should just forgive the person who abused you and move on, that God will change them. You might have been told, it's not right for me as a Christian to bring this up to other people. I need to keep silent. Now, friend, I want to assure you, you don't need to keep silent. The Bible's not teaching us as Christians that we just sweep things under the rug. The Bible's actually confronting us, and in many cultures, that we need to bring this to light. That it's not airing dirty laundry in public by telling other people about it. So, friends, even if a leader in a church, in a home, a husband, a teacher, a parent, 
is abusing someone, they don't get a pass. They should be called to repentance. God is the protector of the oppressed, no matter who is doing the abusing. The abused need needs to be protected. So I hope that you're able to bring your suffering to someone in this church, whether that's a leader, a friend, Christian brother or sister. I do hope and pray that this text also will be of some comfort to you. That whatever you've suffered, you haven't been alone. That God knows, and he's working all things for your good. And that one day, either in this life or the next, there will be justice. You'll be restored whatever you have lost. Now to the leaders of this church. I also want to say a word. Whether you're an elder or a deacon, Sunday school leader, small group leader, you have a particular call to protect the oppressed because you're modeling a ruler. You're modeling the Lord. Those whom the Lord calls to be rulers in his church are held to that standard, the high standard to model the Lord himself. And so if you are in a position and authority in the church, you have a responsibility to listen to those who come to you and do bring to you concerns about abuse. You have a responsibility not to discount them out of hand, no matter who the accusation is against. You have a responsibility to hear them out. And that also means that whoever is in a position of authority or leadership doesn't get an automatic pass when there's an allegation of abuse. You have to look out for and listen to claims of abuse. And you aren't doing a leader, your job as a leader if you simply suppress it and tell them to pray about it and move on with their lives. Hear them out. Hear them out. But do all church members, all of us have a responsibility to watch out for and seek the well-being of those who are oppressed, especially in God's church. So I want to suggest to you, for all of us as Christians, if someone comes to you with a concern that they're being abused or someone they know is being abused, that you take that seriously. You take them seriously and you give them the benefit of the doubt. It's probably not okay just to tell them, forgive that person and move on. It's not okay, probably, just to tell them, let God take care of it and move on. Or it's probably not okay to say, just give a little bit of time, just give a little bit of separation from that person and it'll heal by, on its own. No, you need to hear that person out. Hear their concerns. If someone is being oppressed, you have a duty to listen and do everything you can to protect them because the, the Lord is the protector of the oppressed. So we need to be protectors of the oppressed as well. So friends, God is a gracious God. He is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Now is the time for those of you who have committed abuse as well to bring that to light. God is calling you as well to confess your sin to him. And if you have abused someone, God's calling you now in your life to confess that to the person or to others. Because as verse 9 says, God brings to, ru to ruin the way of the wicked. God is a just God. You can't escape his justice and then this life or the next. So friends, we have, though, in this psalm, for those who have, anyone who has sinned, anyone who has committed grievous sin, someone like Jacob, we have the assurance in this psalm that God is gracious and merciful for all those who do go to him and trust him and 
He's abounding in steadfast love and mercy for those who do fall on Christ, and he is ready and he's gracious to forgive. So friends, we should be ready to bring that forgiveness to those who confess your sins and that God is a gracious God so we can trust him in his abundant grace and mercy. My friends, all of us, when we read this, it's not just those who maybe have committed a sin of abuse or oppression, but all of us, when we read this, should be reminded that none of us are completely free. All of us have failed in whatever aspect of our lives to live up to these standards that God himself does fully live up to. All of us should be reminded that there's only one true ruler here who did live up to all these things, one who perfectly ruled on his life and ministry on this earth, and that, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, this psalm points us to Christ, to Jesus himself. He did fulfill all these things in this psalm as a perfect, trustworthy ruler. As a sign of his perfect rule, Jesus himself fed his people fully, not just with manna from earth, but manna from heaven, feeding the spiritually hungry on his word because Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus fulfills this psalm and his perfect rule, not only from oppression from earthly rulers, but spiritual oppression of sin and evil. And Jesus sets people free from spiritual oppression. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled this psalm because he not just healed people physically who are blind, but spiritually who are blind to their sin. And Jesus lifted up the sorrowful, those who are heavy laden over their sin and misery. He also loved and cared and cares for the oppressed. And so Jesus is the true ruler who deserves your praise. And he reigns right now at God's right hand. And he's in heaven waiting, giving us an inheritance that'll never perish or fade. And so friends, this psalm leads you to praise Jesus, the true king. The psalmist is pointing us to that. And now finally, verse 10, the psalmist also closes with a call to praise. After giving these reasons, the reminder, the warning, he's giving us a final call to praise the Lord as the true king. Notice this in verse 10. He says, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Notice, friends, that at the end here, it's calling all of us to praise. At the beginning of the psalm, it says, I will praise. I will praise the Lord. I will praise. But at the end, he's calling all of us together as a congregation to praise the Lord. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. You, church, he's saying. That's what Zion means. Not just a physical place, but a spiritual people calling on all of God's people to praise him in worship because he is a trustworthy ruler. And then also notice praising God one last time because his reign is eternal. Now let me ask you, who is the longest serving monarch, king, or queen on the earth today? Queen Elizabeth, Queen of England. I wonder if any of you know how old she is. 95 years old. She's reigned for 69 years as Queen of England. Well, maybe lesser known, maybe, uh, you know, the oldest or longest dynasty on earth today. It's the Yamamoto dynasty in Japan, 2,000 years. That's a long time for one monarch or for one dynasty. But friends, one day, sooner or later, 
uh, Queen Elizabeth is going to die. <laughs> Sad as it is to think about. Uh, one day, sooner or later, the Yamamoto dynasty is going to end. There's only one king who's going to reign forever. Only one God, Zion, who's going to live forever. Only one king who can give you an eternal inheritance that'll never perish or fade, greater than anything that's going to pass away on this earth. And that is the Lord our God, your God, O Zion, forevermore. So give him all your praise. He is worthy of your praise because he is a perfect, he's a trustworthy ruler. And one day we will be in his kingdom forever, free from the sorrows of this world, the oppressions of this world, the sin of this world, in a kingdom perfectly ruled by him. So let's praise him for that. Let's praise our trustworthy king together. Please pray with me. Our God, we do thank you and praise you for this word, this reminder from Psalm 146 that we so need today. In a world that's so uncertain and so dark sometimes, we have a God that we can trust. Praise you, Father, for revealing these truths to us in Christ, our Savior. And we ask, Father, that you would give us an increase of your Holy Spirit so that we would give you all the praise of our lives with all of our being the rest of our days. And now, Father, as we continue to praise you, would you receive our worship as an acceptable sacrifice of praise? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.